Behold, the Bible says, Behold, I will send to you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. We're going to read that again. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Father, we thank you for your word and all that you have to say to us today. We welcome your anointing, God, today desperately and humbly. We ask for your anointing. I need your anointing to declare this word. I need your anointing to receive this word. We need your anointing to have eyes that see and ears that hear. So, Father, take this time. Glorify it, Father God. Move in power for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the book of Malachi, such a powerful book in the Old Testament, four chapters, and it's just a powerful, incredible letter of a, a prophetic word that was given to the people of God. And you know, it's unfortunate when in today's day, we only read Malachi a lot of times in churches when people are talking about tithing and giving. And, uh, you know, a lot of times people have a hard time with Malachi because it's that scripture that has that strong focus on tithing or giving an offering before the Lord and, and so forth. And don't worry, I'm not lifting another offering. You're good to go. You're good. Okay. But, you know, um, some people are like, well, tithing, that's from the Old Testament. That's old covenant law. And I'm under the blood and under Jesus, so I shouldn't be doing that. And then some people are like, no, no, no. You know, this is, that's a principle of the kingdom that we have to practice. It's good for the kingdom. It's good for our finances. You know, and in the midst of it, in the midst of that war with tithing, we miss the entire book of Malachi and what it's about. What Malachi's about, it's not about the law. It's about a heart that's fully devoted to God. And how is that devotion being lived out in your life? He begins by saying, you dishonor the Lord. But how do we dishonor the Lord? How How do we dishonor the Lord? He says, by what you offer God. You come to God and you bring him old lamb chops, pork chops that are expired. No, just kidding. But you offer him sacrifices that are lame, that are blind, things that you wouldn't eat, and things that you wouldn't give to anyone else, but you offer them to God. And it shows the condition of your heart that you're not really devoted to God. You dishonor God by giving him things that you wouldn't even give others. Then you dishonor God. And How do we dishonor God? By the way you treat the relationships in your life, the way you treat your wife. You're divorcing, you're making less of your marriages, is what Malachi was telling to the people, and you're ruining God's intention. What is God's intention? That you would be a godly marriage that produces, produces a godly children so that your generation will produce another godly generation and they're another generation, and you're dishonoring God's plan by dishonoring the covenant that you made with each other. And you're dishonoring and robbing God. Again, a third time. How are we dishonoring and robbing God? With your tithe and your offerings. You're taking that which he's given you. And you're not honoring him with it. And we get stuck and we look at that and we miss out the entire message in his context. This is the message. Are you living your life devoted to the king of kings? Does all of your life reflect that your life is devoted to him? 
And then Malachi ends on this note, which is really the focus. In the last days, in the last days, Elijah will come again. Now remember, this is now a prophet that lived hundreds of years before Malachi lived. And Elijah will come again to prepare the way. So the hearts of the fathers will turn to the sons and the sons to the fathers. What does that speak of? It speaks of generations. right? So that the generations will be united again. So Elijah's going to come to prepare people to declare this message, right, with an anointing over his life, and he's going to do it, what, before the day of destruction, right? Before the day of destruction. Now, when we look at that scripture and we think about what does that mean that Elijah's going to come again, we, we look at the life of John the Baptist. The reality of the matter is that scripture, in a sense, was fulfilled in John the Baptist. John the Baptist came and he, prayed, he preached repentance. People repented and prepared for the, re, for the coming of Jesus Christ, right? As they were being baptized and repented of their sins, they were ready for Jesus Christ to come uh, and redeem their lives. But prophecy oftentimes, what I've noticed, is that there are times where God speaks that it's not just for one era, but it's for multiple seasons, And here, when you see the scripture in Malachi, he said, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Okay, we know that that awesome day did come when Jesus Christ came because he came and he was God in the flesh. And that was a glorious day. But we also know that he is coming. You see, he is coming. And he's not returning like a lamb for the slaughter. He's not coming, you know, to be crucified but he's coming to reign on the earth. And it's going to be an awesome day. The scripture describes that day as a dreadful day. And there's no way that you can make dreadful sound nice. When God comes back, and when he comes to reign, there will be complete judgment. Whatever judgment is left that his son has not taken on his back, the full judgment of God is going to fall on the earth. Do you understand that? It's going to be a dreadful day for many people, for those who are not hiding in Christ, for those who have not received Christ. It will be a terrible, awful day. The plagues and the curses and the darkness will be released in a way that we cannot even fathom or imagine. And if when we think it's gotten as worse as it can get, People will still not repent. They will raise their fist against God and rebel against him, even in the midst of their judgment. It's going to be an incredible day. And Malachi's message is basically this. In the last days, there's going to be an anointing like Elijah. People who will declare God's word and walk according to God's truth in the midst of a crooked generation. They will not go to the left or to the right, but they will be ready for the return of the Lord. And the calling in their lives, the anointing in their lives, the preaching that will come out of their mouth, the ministry that they will perform will do this. Turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Unite generations. Oh, we need Elijah's to rise up today. Anybody believe that today? of people who will say we will stand on the truth, live the truth, walk the truth without compromising a crooked generation. It's time for fatherhood to rise. 
in a culture where we're emasculating manhood, in a culture where we're redefining womanhood, in a culture where we don't know what it is to be sons and daughters. What God is, is what we need to be is that church who walks under the anointing of Elijah, declares God's truth in a crooked generation, no matter what comes our way. And as we declare the truth, you know what we do? As we declare God's truth without compromise, we become, we unite the hearts of the fathers to the sons. What does that mean? We're uniting generations. Where there was a division, there was a separation, there's a unity. God's kingdom intention, God's kingdom intention is that everyone will be sons and daughters. Do you believe that? So if we're called to be sons and daughters, and we're all sons and daughters, if God doesn't have any great-grandkids, then it means that we're all one generation. That's God's desire, that we would be one generation. And this is exactly what God is doing in these last days, creating one generation. So as we continue our series, every generation, honoring every culture, every generation, and every, every gift, today we will focus on what it means to honor every generation. God has a purpose and a plan for every season of your life. Do you believe that today? God has a purpose for every generation here. I believe that every generation matters and that every generation is valuable because God has created life and has given seasons to life. There is no worthless season of life or generation in the eyes of God. I don't know where you find yourself today. I don't know how young you are, how old you are, or where you think you are in life today. There is no worthless generation in the eyes of God. There is no worthless season in life. Can I get an amen? amen? I believe that every generation matters. Now today, according to the world, before us, we are four generations here in this room. There are those who are baby boomers, those who were born between 1944 to 1964, uh, they were those who were born after World War II in the midst of, of, of a prospering America, right? Uh, and then there's Generation X. That's, uh, that's me. Those who were born between 1965 to 1979 or 81. And these children are the children of the baby boomers. And they say that these were a people who lacked purpose and morality and brought forth the revolution of sexuality. And there was a great lostness. And they're also defined as latchkey kids because they were always alone and rebellious. Then after Generation X was the millennial generation born between 1980 to 1994. And this generation is a generation that was very, very, very individualistic. They were about themselves. And uh, the age of IT, technolo technology increased. And so people were about their Facebook and about the Instagram and about their own personality and putting themselves out there for the good or for the bad. And now we have Generation Z, which is supposed to be those born 1995 to 2015 and the main definition for that generation is the 9-11 generation and those who were born during the time of a recession or were alive during the time of a recession. Interesting enough, in Generation C, they say about 41% of young adults are attending church somewhere doing discipleship. Isn't that something? That at one point or another, that was taking place. And that you see in a report um, I believe a secular report, report uh, called Get Your Campus Ready for Generation Z, which is hope, uh, written by uh, Hope, Hope J. 
It's, it's the tunnel that I got here. So when you see all those generations, you think, wow, all these different generations. And all those different generations in some regard are here um, in this place. But I tell you what, God's intentions is to make us all one generation, right? That gen- we're going to stick on that theme, the generation of people who seek the face of God. What I see is that the devil wants to take each and every one of us, no matter what stage in life that we're at, and that he wants to destroy us. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And every time I I read scripture that calls us to be sober-minded, I like to remind my brothers and sisters that this is not just talking about drinking. Right? Right? I can lose my sobriety without drinking. I can lose my sobriety watching The Bachelors. I can lose my sobriety watching Desperate Housewives. I can lose my sobriety hanging around the wrong people. I can lose my sobriety reading Fifty Shades of Grey. I can lose my sobriety with a bunch of different things other than alcohol. Do you understand what I'm saying today? God calls us to be sober-minded and watchful. That means that I am alert to the fact that Jesus is coming. That day is going to be a day of judgment. I'm looking forward to that great return. I'm going to keep alert, make sure that I'm seeing the signs of the times and I'm not wasting my time or my energy or my relationships with people who are not seeking after the things of God. Right? Be sober-minded and be watchful. Why? Because you have an enemy. I know that in this tolerant age, you may hear that you're, you don't have enemies and everybody's a friend. It's a lie from the pit. You have an enemy. He is the devil. He is the accuser. And he is roaring like a lion. He is prowling around like a roaring lion and uh, seeking someone to devour. He is seeking to devour your life. We're not just preaching here because we like to preach and because we like for you to be comfortable in blue seats at a church at the Rock and 4058 Star Avenue. You have an enemy. He is the devil. And he is looking to devour your life. Not just make your life hard. Not just distract you. Not just, you know frustrate you. He has one plan, kill, steal, destroy. And we as a church have to wake up to that reality. We have to understand that oftentimes, you know, we've heard it said, well, he's roaring around like he's roaring like a lion, but he has no teeth. Pastor Keith would say, and I concur, and I would say to you, the devil has teeth. He has teeth. I got a lot of friends who are hurting right now because the devil has teeth. I got a lot of people right now that I'm ministering to because the devil has teeth. So it's time that we do not minimize our enemy, recognize who he is, and understand that he has a plan to devour. And it's the same thing for every generation. He has a plan to devour every generation represented here. Life in the womb. I just, I just want to share this with you when it comes to, I see this thing even being played out here in America. How do I see that being played out? The enemy's plan played out here in our land. Number one, life in the womb. The enemy's trying to get us to deny that there is life in the womb. Yet the word of God says, before I created you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Here in America, I noticed that 
the enemy is trying to get us to raise our children with a spirit of entitlement. As if they deserve everything that they see on TV or everything that we can afford to buy them. I see that here in America, the enemy is trying to get us convinced that it's okay for our teenagers to be rebellious. That it's acceptable and normal. I see in America that for a long time we think it's okay as young adults to, to let our lives be focused just about us for young adults. That it doesn't matter the mistake that they make because they can make up for their mistakes later. But how many people made mistakes as young adults and realize you can't really make up for those mistakes later? I see in America that our adults are so focused on need for stuff, greed, that oftentimes we go through life distracted, and the enemy wants us to go through life distracted. And one of the most egregious crimes that I see in America is the way our elderly is treated, as if they don't have a place or a voice, and as if they just need to stay out of the way. And I, I want to make this very clear to you. This is the attack plan of the Antichrist. This is what the devil would want us to believe. This is how the devil will want us to live. Destroy, disconnect every generation. This is exactly what he wants us to do so that we would not walk as one. But God's plan is different. God said life is life in the womb. Think about Mary and Elizabeth, right? Particularly that God had a, a job for John the Baptist. His anointing was over John the Baptist. And again, that scripture that I just shared with you in Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. And secondly, God wants children to be welcomed into the kingdom life, right? What did Jesus say? Do not hinder the children to come to me. Let them come to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. But also, Jesus asked the child, what was Jesus doing? He was about his father's business. God is looking for parents that are going to teach their children how to be curious about the father's business. Kids who have a curious mind, who have a desire to know about the father's business. We see in the Bible that teenagers can know who they are in God, and so God wants our teenagers who know who they are in Christ. David went before a battlefield, and he faced Goliath as a teenager. He said, who dares defy the armies of the living God? Our teenagers don't have to go through some crazy MTV teenage crisis, identity crisis. Teenagers don't have to look like what the world looks like. Our teenagers can step back and say, that's not me. I know who I am, and I know who that giant is. But something's wrong with pastors and, pastors and parents. We're okay with certain things, certain identifiers. Young adults, according to the Bible, can have kingdom vision for life. Joshua was a young adult when he went into, uh, to spy out the promised land. He was a young adult. Adults can live lives that are self, selfless for the kingdom of God. Do you remember Ruth? When her husband died and her mother-in-law's husband died, Ruth could have gone her own way and gotten married with, to her own people. But instead, she had a sense of calling to take care of her mother-in-law and to honor God. And he said, don't tell me to leave you. Your people will be my people. My, your God will be my God. Remember that? You remember Hannah? She got to a place of desperation at the altar of God as she wept. 
and the desperation that God allowed her to have led her to a place of selflessness where her prayers were now focused on things related to the kingdom of God. And God said, now I can move in that prayer when Hannah said, I will give you, if you give me a son, I'll give him to you for the rest of his life. And God said, that's, that's where I wanted you to get. See, I got you desperate because I needed you to get here and desperation got you there to pray that. Adults can live selflessly for the kingdom of God. An elderly, God intends the elderly to be a source of wisdom and anointing for the church. Of wisdom and anointing, of passing on a double portion. If you're, if you're someone, you consider yourself elderly today and you feel like you don't have a voice, you don't know where your calling is in life, let me tell you something. There's an anointing in your life to bless there's an anointing in your life to give wisdom, to encourage, to listen. God intends for you to anoint others, release others in the call of God. And you think of Jethro and Moses. I want you to just think about Jethro and Moses for a minute. Jethro was Moses' father-in-law. And he went to see Moses as he was leading the people of God, a million people. And Moses was the only judge. Imagine waking up to that job. Wake up in the morning, a million people. How many hundreds of thousands of those people are going to come before you so that you can judge their case? That is so exciting. <laughs> said no one ever. And Jethro looked at Moses and said, you're going about this the wrong way. Jethro in his wisdom gave Moses the keys that he needed in order for Moses to be able to do the job that God called him to do. It wasn't Jethro's job. It was Moses' job. But Jethro was given the wisdom to encourage Moses to fulfill the will of God. In the kingdom of God, there has to be Jethro's and there's got to be Moses's. Anybody with me today? And in the kingdom of God, you're called to be somebody's Jethro and you're called to be somebody's Moses. Somebody needs to be speaking into your life and there's someone you need to be speaking into. I, I say this to every mayor. Whenever I've done marital counseling, whenever I've done premarital counseling, I tell people this, listen, as a couple, there's got to be somebody that you're looking up to that's calling you higher, that's speaking life into you and challenging you. And there's got to be people that you're doing life with, right? Marriages that you're doing life with. And there's got to be marriages that you're calling up. Yeah. Why? Because you're sowing the seed. You're sowing the seed. You're building the kingdom. You're uniting the generations, right? You're, you're bringing life. But such is the way of discipleship. Man of God, woman of God. There's somebody that should be speaking into your life. There's somebody that you should be speaking into, and there are people that you should be doing life with. It needs to happen. It's necessary. I refuse the plan of the world for me, and I refuse the plan of the world for the church. And I choose to seek to live according to the example set out for me in Scripture. I refuse the identifier this world has given me, and I choose the truth of God's Word. I believe that as a church, God is calling us to honor every generation by restoring kingdom value. I'm going to repeat that again. I believe that as a church, God is calling us to honor every generation by restoring kingdom value to every generation. You need to hear it today. You matter. Where you are in life matters. God wants to use you to be a blessing to those that surround you. You don't have to accept the identifiers the world has placed on your life. You don't have to. 
How do we do that here at The Rock? What does that look like to honor every generation? Well, we want to minister to every person here. Every generation represented here, every Sunday, 9 and 11, and every Wednesday at 7 o'clock, we provide ministry for nursery, preschool, toddlers, uh, for kids' church, for youth. And before we move forward, let me just tell you about those ministries. Don't you dare insult any of those workers and tell them that they're watching kids or babysitting kids. They, they are agonizing in prayer for your children. They're seeking God for a word to impact their lives. They're laying on hands. And as Pastor Laura often says, there's no junior Holy Spirit. They're training our kids in spiritual warfare that they would know their place in the kingdom. And by the way, that's your job. We're just supporting you. If you think that we can do all this training in spiritual warfare that needs to take place on Sunday and a Wednesday, somebody fooled you. That's your job. And what we're here to do is equip you so that you can do your job. We're not going to leave you hanging. We'll equip you, but you got to get to it. Because three hours a week of church and hundreds of hours a week in the world is not going to cut it. They need some coaching. They need you to be the one. We have men's small groups and women's small groups and different discipleship groups. We have 50-plus groups. We think all of that is very important. Why? Because age-specific ministry is valuable. We believe that as a church. Age-specific ministry is valuable because there are certain conversations I can have with you that I can't have with certain ages, right? And so that makes total sense. The purpose is to minister to people where they're at, not to separate them. That's not the intention of God. And as we minister, what is the ministry? The ministry is the ministry of discipleship. What is the focus of ministry here at The Rock? To make disciples of Jesus Christ from every age and every generation. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What is the intention of the church? To make disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus who know him and who know his word and who obey. We, I challenge you. I challenge you as a pastor not only to grow in Jesus, but to check out the ministry of The Rock. I challenge you, if you see something that is not about making disciples, please let us know. Because our laser focus, the main reason we exist is to teach people to be followers of Jesus. What does that mean? That they know how to hear his voice and that they obey his word and follow his commands. If we're not doing that, we're not doing anything. If we're not doing that, we're not doing anything. Brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, if you're gathering with your brothers and your sisters in Christ, you're not sensing a level of calling up or a level of encouragement or a level of peace because God's presence is there. You've got to ask yourself, what are you doing? What are you doing in that place? And you've got to ask yourself, when you get together with others, are you calling people up or are you dragging people down? Are you with me? That joke that we're about to share, that show that we're about to talk about, that are we calling people up or are we dragging people down? It's time, again, that we turn to the Lord and say, Lord, we're supposed to be followers of you. Teach us how to follow you with all that we are. And I just want to pause for a minute and tell you that I used to have a really hard time with that because I didn't know how to, um, 
um, connect the two. I felt like I didn't know how to be on fire for God and how to be me. I felt like in order to be on fire for God, I couldn't be me because I'm a goofy dude. <laughs> I'm just honest. If you know me close enough, if you hang out with me, I can be really goofy. And for the longest time, I thought, you know, you can't be goofy because you sacrificed the anointing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you can't be silly like that because, you know, you, know, you, you sacrificed the mantle of God. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> Pentecostal stuff that Pentecostals say, we need deliverance. So, you know, I just didn't understand that. You know, I just didn't know, you know, but let me tell you, God loves me in all my goofiness. Whether you like it or not, it's who I am. You know, God is not calling us to deny who he's created us to be, right? It's part of the life that we bring to the church. God's created you a certain way. He says, submit that to me. That personality that you have, it's a part of me because I've given it to you. It reflects me. I want to use your personality. I don't want you to deny your personality. Some of you need to allow yourself to be you. Be your goofy self. The kingdom needs you. It's true. Some of you are A-type militant. You're fighters. Be a fighter. The kingdom needs you. Come on. Some of you are chill mode. Man, does the kingdom need you. Especially fighters. <laughs> fighters need you. Right? They need chill mode people. I'm so thankful that my wife is chill mode. She's chill mode. We need chill mode in the house. Because I'm not chill mode. And I rebuke you for that thought. Whoever that, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's just the truth of the matter. God made us a certain way for a reason. Right? And you can be on fire. You can be on fire for God. And be you, because God created you to be you. But our call is to challenge every generation to follow hard after God. If you came to the rock to find a church that meets your needs, I hope that you understand that we believe your greatest need is to encounter Jesus and to follow him. So we're encouraging people here. Our ministry is the ministry of discipleship. And we want to learn to do life with every generation. God is not interested in separating the generations and in adding more value to one generation over the other. God is interested in the unity of the generations. Why? Because we're one generation in him. Listen, I know that this is extreme, but I'm going to share with you my story. When I gave my life to Christ, I happened to be a part of a, a, a I started attending a Hispanic church. And I know that culturally, uh, uh, Dominicans and Puerto Ricans, they do things, all of us have a different context and a different culture, but... Um, it was very interesting to me. Um, people, though I was, I didn't have a father in the home, and though my mom was not a woman who knew the Lord at the time, though she came to faith to Christ in, uh, in Christ shortly after, I, I went into that church, and there was no, no longer a need for me to feel fatherless because there was a bunch of men who looked out for me. They wanted to mentor me, and they took care of me. They in the sense that they wanted to make sure that I was at church, that I was excited about Jesus. They encouraged me every time. They gave me $20 just to give me $20 so I can go out to eat with the rest of the group and not feel out of place. They made sure that I went to camp. I'm eternally thankful for Ernie Medina and for Jose Hernandez and for uh, uh, Pastor Ali, Eliberto Bonilla. I'm eternally grateful for these men who made it their business to bless me. I didn't ask them. They made it their business. I, I was going to skip camp because I couldn't afford it. And they pulled me to the side, Calito, you're going to camp. 
Pastor, he's going to camp. Don't let him skip. Don't you let him skip. Oh, but Ernie, you know, I don't want, you know, I just, I don't want to be a Bernie. Calito, shut up. <laughs> You're going to camp. You're going to learn to be blessed. So don't you reject it. You're going to learn to be blessed. Because you're going to be a blessing. Give me your hand. Give me your hand. Go pay for your camp. That's how they talk. I'm telling you, crazy people, they get beat you up if you don't know how to be blessed. They just make, made it their business to bless me. Youth group, the way we, youth group was youth service, which means we were going to focus on blessing the youth, but it didn't mean that adults weren't there. The adults were there all the time. All the adults where they're in youth service, excited to be there because youth service didn't mean that's just for them. Youth service meant it's time for us to encourage and pray for them as they have their youth service. I don't just think about that. I didn't realize things were different until I started seeing like American churches and the way that we kind of did things culturally. And I'm not saying that it's negative. I'm saying that they, that may have been an extreme, you know, but I'm saying it was kind of different to me to see how compartmentalized we did life. Kids stay here. Youth stay here. Adults stay here. Don't mix them. We don't like each other. That, that's kind of, that was what was communicated, like what I saw. And I wonder, do you think that maybe that's the reason why a lot of our youth, when they graduate from youth group and become young adults, they never really make it into our adult service? Do you think maybe we're sending the wrong message and we're saying to them, we're not really interested in what you're doing now. So when they're growing up, they're saying, well, we're not really interested in what you're doing now. Why would they come here? If the message that we're sending is, no, we're not really that interested. Something's got to change. Because I'm really interested. Because I really love them. Right now, we have two adults committed to Wednesday nights. Something's got to change. Pastor Sandra has been committed there, and Monique Ulch has been committed there, and she's been speaking life there. There are more kids in there that they can, uh, that they can actually bless and mentor by themselves. As I just want you to pray about it if you're an approved worker. But even if you're not even a part of the rock and you're just visiting, there are people in your life you're supposed to be a blessing to. There's a younger generation that you need to reach out to. We need to learn to do life with every generation. Why? Here are the three whys as we close today. When the generations are united, God is made known. God intended to make his name known by one generation telling the other generation. Psalm 79 verse 13 but we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. If the generation before us doesn't know how to praise God, it's because we didn't teach them. The generation before, uh, excuse me, after us, if the generation after us doesn't know how to seek God, it's because we didn't teach them how to seek the Lord. Right? It's on us. Let's seek the Lord. If we don't know, if we haven't been taught, praise God, you know what? We got a Holy Spirit. He's a wonderful counselor. He can teach us to be seekers. Amen? 
Psalm 103 on down, uh, verse 18. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height from heaven. The Lord looked on at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners to set free those who are doomed to die. How many are thankful that God set you free when you were doomed to die? That they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise when people gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. In other words, declare it, write it down. This is your ministry. This is your mission. This is what I'm calling you to do. Write it down and share it so that you will be one generation so that when the nations come, they will know me. God's intention is to use us to lead people to him. Psalm 145, 1 and 2. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forevermore. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. What did God intend but for, this is what he intended, for us to pass to the next generation the torch of a people on fire for God. I don't want, I don't want, you know what? Here's another identifier that we say in church. I rebuke every time I hear it. I come, I curse it in Jesus' name. Well, you know, if you got saved, then the fire's with you, and then your kids kind of grow up in the church, and they're kind of halfway on fire because they didn't really experience what you experienced. Really? Are we, are, are, are we going to accept that our kids have to experience a sin-sick world before they before they become fully sold out seekers of God? Do I have to accept that? Do all our kids have to go through that motion? Well, if they have to, can I at least have my arms tied around their ankles? Saying, if you're going to go there, you're going to have to drag me because I'm going to intercede for you until you get it because you're acting like a fool, but God's called you to wisdom. Does anybody have fight to believe that the second generation can have a greater glory than the one that we've experienced? When the generations are united, much more is accomplished. Look at Jethro again and Moses. How much more was accomplished because he received the wisdom of, the elder, elder, uh, of his father-in-law. An elderly person. Let me just talk to you for a minute. Maybe you're here today and the story of your life is this. Some people have to learn the hard way. And I'm the kind of guy who has to find out for himself. Is that, is that, don't raise your hand. But if that's the story of your life, it doesn't have to be. You're in a community in the body of Christ. And so the one thing we got to say, Lord, I want to be teachable and I want to hear the wisdom of the saints that you surround me with. There's wisdom that you've given people to speak into my life. And then maybe you're supposed to be that person sharing wisdom, but you've traded the wisdom of God for a critical spirit and it's kept you from sharing wisdom in the people's life who really need it. I'm going to repeat that again. Maybe you really have a lot to offer the body, but you've traded the wisdom of God and the love of God and the encouragement that God can give for a critical spirit. And now the generation before you can't receive from you because every time you talk about them, you're talking smack, you're talking bad, you're speaking negatively over them. You understand what I'm saying? You limit your ability to speak life when you have a critical spirit. 
Think about John. You say, what kind of grandpa do I want to be? If God allows me the ability to be a grandpa, what kind of grandpa do I want to be? Like John. You ever read the letters by John, 1 John? You ever read? Why don't you read that this week? This is a beautiful letter of an elderly man who loved God and who loved his church and who spoke the grace of God and the power of God and the word with conviction. I want to be that person. I want to be that person. And I believe that God's calling us to be those people. We're going to close with this. When the generations are united, the calling and the gifts of God are released. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to close with this example. You have Timothy, who is Paul's, who is mentored by Paul, his Paul's spiritual son. And Timothy, um, this letter was written by Paul to Timothy. It says, As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Louise and your mother Eunice. Now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan in the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now here's what's happening. Timothy was going through an incredibly hard time in the ministry. Discouraged, probably wondering where he stood in his walk with God, probably wondering if his ministry is effective, probably wondering if he should throw in the towel. Has anybody ever been there? There's a couple of people telling the truth today. We'll make an altar call for liars. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Right. We've been there, right? We've been there. And here is Paul writing, and he says, As I remember your tears, I long to see you. When I think of you, I'm filled with joy. And I remember that you have real faith in you. Real faith. Something God gave you and the devil can't take away from you. You know how I know it? Because of your grandma. Woo, your grandma. Woo! She could pray. There was an anointing over her life and over Eunice, your mom, and that same vibrant, spirit-filled faith has been passed down to you. I was there when they've interceded for you, when they laid hands over you, and the gifts of God were released over your life. When the generations are united, the anointing, the gifts, and the calling of God is released. Don't you think we need that today? Would you stand with me this morning? Thank you, sir. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I was uh, going through a very difficult time in my life as a young adult, I was, I was extremely offended one day at something that was happening, something that was being said about me, and uh, I went to sleep angry. You know, you know, and the scripture went through, you know when you're about to go to sleep angry and that scripture comes to your mind, don't go to sleep when you're angry, and you're like, whatever, okay? I'm just being honest. <laughs> I'm just being honest, you know. I'm laying there, and I'm like, I do not want to forgive. I'm angry right now, and I want to take it out on somebody. That's how I felt. I went to sleep in my anger, 
unwilling and unrelenting, undesiring to pray. And uh, I, had, I had an attack at night. Something, I was in my home, in this dream, in the nightmare, and there was a spiritual force trying to come into my house. And I tried to rebuke that thing, and I couldn't. I said, I rebuke you in the name of, and I couldn't get the name of Jesus out. And the more I tried, the less words I can get, get out. I, I, I just felt paralyzed. It got to a point where I was paralyzed. That thing had more power than me. Then all of a sudden, just left. Just left. That was it. I went about my day the next day, didn't even think about the dream. wasn't even in my mind. I went to hang out at my friend's house. At midday, I was hanging out with my friends, and my friend's house, my age, but his father, Jose Hernandez, was like, was like a mentor. He just loved me. He said, you come to my house all the time during the summer. Just hang out with us. And so he allowed me to be there. He's always speaking life to me. And there I was. I was, I was a young adult at the time. I was about 19 or 20. And um, I was there in the house, and all of a sudden his phone was ringing in his house. And this is the kind of confidence I had in his house. I just wanted to pick up his phone, you know. I'll say, Jose Hernandez's residence, how can I help you, right? So I was just always goofy like that. I've always been goofy. It's just the reality. So, you know, I picked up the phone, and it's Jose. He says, Carlos, is that you? I said, yeah. He goes, what were you doing last night at 3 o'clock in the morning? I said, I was asleep. I said, no, you weren't. What were you doing last night that late? I was like, sir, I was asleep. Sir, I was like, he's really, you know, mad at something. He's like, sir, I was asleep. He goes, Carlos, I felt you in my room, and you said, Jose, please wake up. I'm in trouble. I need you to pray for me. And he got up, and he began to intercede for me. Just began to pray for me. And now all of a sudden when he said that, I just, everything that I, everything that I experienced came back to my mind. Why do I share that with you? I'm thankful that he got up and he prayed for me. I'm thankful that he, he had so much compassion and he was so connected to me that he's, he said, I'm going to get up at three, though. I got to get up and work at six. I want to pray for him until he gets his breakthrough. Are you doing that for somebody right now? Are you doing that for somebody right now? Every generation matters. There's someone you need to be interceding for. The kingdom of God has to be about more than our prayer requests. Come on. Somebody's hurting. There's, a, there's an elderly person right now who needs somebody to visit and do life with them and do discipleship with them. Need a friend. It's a teenager who's going through an identity crisis who needs somebody who will come alongside and say, we're going to do life together. There are people from all walks of life who need a real touch from a real church who really loves. Father, we come before you today. And we know that every generation matters. And we know, God, that your plan is to unite the generations. So today, Father, we come to you. 
And though the world has called us baby boomers and the industrial generation and Generation X and Generation Z and the millennials and whatever other labels they have for us, Father, we declare that in you we're one generation, generation of sons and daughters, generation of those who seek you. And today we come before you, God, and we choose to be identified according to your word and your truth. And Lord God, we repent. We repent. We repent, Lord God, for accepting those identifiers. We repent, God, for uh, if in any way, shape, or form we've walked in a way that made less of any, any age or any season in life. We repent, God. We turn to you and we declare that children in the womb are valuable. We declare to you that children are valuable. We declare that our teenagers are valuable, that our youth, our young adults are valuable, that adults matter, they're valuable, and that our elderly are valuable. I thank you, Father God. We thank you for every generation, and our prayer, God, is that you would teach us to honor, teach us to honor every generation, teach us to value, teach us, Father God, that we would see us we see every one of us as one generation in you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Yeah, as we're praying right now, maybe you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I want to say to God, God bless me so that I can be a blessing. I, know, I make a commitment today not only to come to church to be blessed by God, I am saying to God that I want to step into the calling of the kingdom of God, the calling that says God has blessed me to be a blessing. And I'm giving God permission to, to give me a new vision for life so that I can be a blessing. If that's you, would you come to the altar right now? You're saying, I, I want to be a person that blesses. I don't want to be focused on my blessing. I don't want to be focused on just my need. I want to be blessed to be a blessing. I, I want the Lord to use me to speak life, to add value to every generation. That's you today. Would you come to the altar right now? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Maybe you're here today and you realize that since uh, Sandra talked about the youth and talked about speaking life into the youth, today you realize the Lord's put a calling you to, to, to be a blessing to youth. That's you today. I want you to get a connection card and say, I believe God's calling me to work with youth. Fill that out and put it and give it to me or to one of the leaders here. Or put it in the, in the sound uh, room back over there to one of the leaders back there. But if that's you, before you do all that and you're saying, I believe God's putting me a hunger, a desire to work with youth, to be, to be a mentor, to, to speak life over the youth, if that's you, would you come to the altar right now? Listen, if it weren't for those people, I, I wouldn't be here. I, I'd like to welcome you to come up at this time. Hallelujah. 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 Let's pray. The altar workers who are here, you can help me pray at this time. You can come up and help me pray with those who are here. Father, we're going to spend some time here praying at the altar. My only prayer right now as we begin to pray at the altar is that you would speak through your, the power of your Holy Spirit, that it would be your words, that you would break the yoke, 
and that you would give us vision for life. I thank you, God. Teach us to be a blessing, to have kingdom vision for life, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll be praying for those who are here at the altar. And have a great Sunday.